this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this is a roundtable episode. Dun dun dun. <laughs> it's very round, it's not a triangle. It's um, it's a rec- it's a square or a rectangle, yeah. depending I mean, on you how round you round those corners your... of the square off, and you, right, you guys, it's round. And this episode has been one that's been percolating for some time, for an extended period of time, you might say. Uh, and that is EPs of the '90s, and it just in general, I I think talking about EPs. <laughs> This this sounds like a nerdy thing. Talking about EPs is going to be fascinating, Jay. (laughs) Well, I guess in in 2022, I'm not even sure what the term EP even means anymore. If it's actually a thing, because right, very much uh, you know, referencing of physical format. So, well, this was uh, suggested by uh, Darren, one of the Darrens, uh, Daz, in. in our uh discord because we have a if you join our patreon you get access to our discord and we have a board of directors section where people who are in our board of director board of directors can suggest roundtables and 80s episodes and they can make it into future podcasts and guess what it did so we're going to have a roundtable that means we got to have folks joining us and that means joining us both have been here before. Rich, this is your second time. Richard Waterman, welcome back to the show. Thank you, guys. Nice to be here again. And uh, also joining us, he was here recently, but uh, he's back again to share some EP knowledge. Ian McIver, welcome. Hello. Hello. And gentlemen, um, EPs. We're the 90s, the golden age of, ni- of EPs. That's what we're, we're going to talk about, because here's a fun fact. Maybe you guys knew this. Maybe you didn't. What was the first EP to go number one on the Billboard chart? Does anybody know? In, in the history of recorded music? In the history of recorded music. Oh Jay, you must know this. I have no idea. Why would I know this? Because it's Alice in Chains. <laughs> Is it really? The wow. Jar of Flies EP made it to number one on the Billboard chart in January of 1994. It was the first EP to ever chart number one. No way. I was going to say Alice in Chains, to be honest, because that was the first one that I ever got. Yeah. I ever bought with my own money. Mm-hmm. And it was, yeah, so I can't believe it was number one, though. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was considering that too, but then I'm like, I'm like thinking like, okay, because EP is not a new format, and especially like when you're going into the '90s now. I mean, was this even really 
least on, on vinyl. I mean, this was another five-inch CD similar to any album. So, yeah, right. And well, who, who here, knows? here's some knowledge I'm going to drop. The first quote-unquote EP, which was just basically an extended single, was released in 1919 by Grey Gull Records. They were cut on 78 RPM discs. And throughout basically recorded music, there have been the in-between, not a single and not an album, but an EP. And these are actually quite popular in the 1950s with regards to artists such as Elvis and releasing what they would do is basically release multi-single sets. So you'd get like four or five singles that were popular at the time and you didn't have to buy a whole album. And they would, this is the part that was crazy to me. They did these on seven inches in a lot of times. They would just cut them at a speed where you could fit like 15 minutes on a side, which had to have been a horribly sounding, (laughs) horrible sounding EP to cut it that thin to be able to fit that much uh, music. Yeah, I've only got two that are like that. My my song, my collection. I mean, both singles. April 1954 was the first EP issued in UK. Yep. So um, thanks, Google. (laughs) (laughs) I own a couple of four song EP seven inches, and basically the songs are about two minutes per side because it's like a punk split. You know, it it was a cheap way for four punk bands to put out something to pool their money, you know, pay, pay the $500 to press, you know, back in the 1980s or whatever, to press a four inch single. And, um, it sounds terrible. It's, it's, it doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. Especially on, I mean, maybe you have some really high end equipment that can suss out the, the, uh, the frequencies, but mine is middle range and it's not as quite as. Maybe we should. As quality. Let Willie Dillon listen to it and see what he thinks about the dynamic range on it. There we go. Oh, yeah. But in the 70s and 80s, I guess you had a period there where vinyl, you had a physical disc that would represent like, okay, singles were on 45s. EPs would be maybe like a on inch. a 7 inch or 10 yeah. inch. They'd be on a 10 inch. And then an album would be on a 12 inch. Yeah. At least you had some reference point of like a physical thing to what right. the format was. Or the also, would be forty-five RPM, not thirty-five. Three. Yeah, they would change the they would change the speed on a twelve-inch. Yeah. Uh, Tim, and, you might know this. Um, yes. What, what is? So I've got this really good compilation of um, it's like a four-disc, like um, twelve-inch eighties compilation. Twelve-inch eighties grooves is called. So, like, what is twelve-inch? Well, that's your average album size, right? So it's a 12-inch record, but they're cut differently in terms of speed. So your album is going to be cut at 33 and a third. Right. But your EP is going to be cut at 45. Yeah. Which is weird. They're all extended versions of like um, Luther Vandross and D-Train and Shaka Khan and et cetera. And this also gets into the mini LP discussion. Oh, God. Which... Is a is a <laughs> offshoot of the EP. I know, I know. You go down a rabbit yeah, hole with this no, stuff, yeah. and all of a sudden the Earth is flat. Like you don't understand, like where where the EP ends and begins, um, because it, 
because of the fact that it can be it's 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 depends on the time period as well. So in general, the the EP is less than an album. Okay, so in the '90s, and av- the average album was probably in the 50 to 60 minute range. So it means you could have like a 45 minute EP. But in the '70s, yeah, some <laughs> albums were like 38 minutes. Exactly, <laughs> 45 was pushing the the amount that they cut the grooves out to 33 and a third. Yeah. Uh, yep. I mean, back in the '70s, you'd get 40 minutes, but then in the 80s and, and 90s as technology somewhat improved okay they may both stretch it to 50 minutes <laughs> but i think we'll find in our conversation here by the time you get to the 90s the term ep is very fuzzy what exactly that means right yeah. <laughs> so billboard, a couple of examples for that so. yeah <laughs> right oh yeah definitely um so billboard actually introduced a weekly ep chart in 1957 in the U- in the united states and then in the uk um Record retailers started a chart in 1960, followed by NME, Melody, Maker, and some other ones added EP charts. Um, the most proficient EP band of the 60s was the Beatles. They would, be, they would do multiple versions of like albums and EPs and singles for all different parts of the world, different territories. So they often would do EPs for... Um, releases that were because you yeah, I think remember the Beatles had a lot of non-album singles. Yeah. So they were often putting those in making those EPs in different parts of the world, which is why they're one of the most collectible bands of all times because they have so many versions of their releases. Um titles change for the Beatles. I mean you've got with the Beatles versus Meet the Beatles depending on which side of the Atlantic you're on. Exactly. So the next EP to go to number one was the Linkin Park and Jay-Z collaboration EP Collision Course, which came out in 2004. And then after that, the Glee TV series released EPs in 2010, two of them, and they both went to number one. Remember it well. (laughs) Big Glee fan? (laughs) (laughs) That first season's not bad. The first season's not bad. After that, it goes downhill. Uh, it became too aware of its popularity and it, it, it lost its underdog status. Yeah. You know, well, it's, like, cold, it's like Coldplay. <laughs> like that first Coldplay EP, you're like, yeah, this is kind of good. And then Coldplay turned into uh, whatever they are now. And you're like, this is terrible. YouTube I've never one. heard it. What, um, was that before the, um, the Yellow? Was it that, what was Parachutes, was it? Yeah, before, before, the parach- first, before the first album, there was an EP. All right. And it was mostly like acoustic strumming type stuff. Sounded like fake plastic trees, that kind of thing. Okay. Uh, yeah. it, it was fine. So, um, what we've seen though is that in digital, EPs kind of disappeared. Like you didn't really need DPs. You could just, or EPs, you could just release a single internet wise. But I think we've seen over the last couple years it bands re-embracing the EP. A couple examples would be um, Miley Cyrus actually released one of her albums as three EPs. And we saw that with Failure. On Failure's second reunion album, In the Future, blah, 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 blah. They released... First say all. (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) Go on, I dare you. Uh... When the pawn strikes the king, blah, blah, blah. 
whatever that is. Uh, they released four EPs for that. And that's not the only artist that's done that. A number of artists. I've seen, I, I, honestly, I've seen a lot of artists going to that now, releasing digital EPs. Like yeah. The Smile, the new band from Tom York and Johnny Greenwood, they released a series of EPs before the album came out. Yeah. So, but we're going to focus on the 90s because that's our, that's our time it, period. It's become a bit of a marketing strategy, too, I think, yeah. to kind of keep the band. Yeah. Put the out. For the in cycles. Yeah, so like I've read a lot of stuff over the last couple of years where bands are like, especially with COVID, they're like, well, no one cares about albums anymore. Yeah, Let's just put like three songs out like as a feeler and see if it catches and then we'll go from there. Yeah. That seems to be the way it's going. Yeah. You, can just, like- you can stay in the cycle too. Like if you just release an album, you're going to get a couple of weeks of attention. But if you do like yeah. EPs every six months or three months, like mm. you're just constantly in the in the yeah, dialogue because yeah. people have got short attention spans now as well haven't they so yeah and that's what some people are doing now with spotify and everything as well because it's like only a couple of tracks are going to attention let's release the cp our fans yeah want, I mean, that- other people do this and then we've got six months later we've got another ep in in in, in, in the canon so to speak and then put that out again a couple of ta- tracks yeah. to get attention and give us all the revenue it's been um, it's been like that for at least five years though originally, but then I think even bigger bands are doing it now. Yeah. Even bigger bands are like, oh no, there's no point in putting an album out. Yeah. Like, but we need to stay relevant, so let's just like do what everyone else is doing and release a song or two songs or three songs well, over 20, a few months period. You know. Well, 2016, 17, 18, Nine Inch Nails did the the three EPs. I mean, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I know he kind of said, "Oh, Bad Witch is not an album." But it was thirty minutes and five tracks, just like the other ones, and it's like, yeah, it it, it was more of that connotation of uh, EP meaning lesser. <laughs> Not uh, to offend you, but that's where I fell off with them. To be honest, the last three, I just didn't really think they were that great. But yeah, that's another thing. Um. So, the best selling, although it didn't go to number one, the best selling EP was released in 1991. Anyone want to take a shot at what it was? How was it best-selling and not number one? Because it sold at a low amount for a long time. Okay. All right, it was on the charts for a long time, like Brian Adams or something. Right, except it wasn't Brian Adams. It was (laughs) Ugly Kid Joe. What? (laughs) Yes. Stop it. You're making this up. So before... So I don't know if you know this, but everything about you, their big single, was not released on an album. That's it right. Re- it was released on the As Ugly As They Want to Be EP that came out in 1991. It is a multi-platinum release. Oh my god. Yep. Okay. And then the album America's Least Wanted came out in 1992, which they put it on that album as well. Wow.
was that song like in a movie or something like what it must have been i feel yes. like it was it was because that's the year if you remember of wayne's world and it was in uh, that movie okay and that's probably driving a lot of it yep it went to so in the u.s it only made its number 52 on the u.s billboard 200 um but it charted everywhere it, it chart well sorry um that was the year-end chart it made it to number four at, at its highest point on the u.s billboard 200 so it was four spots away from beating alice chains to the to the number one um but it it, it made it into the top 100 in austria germany new zealand norway Switzerland, the UK. That was a big, big single that drove that EP. Uh, so we've seen two, that's two big EP releases in the 90s. So let's talk about some other 90s EP releases that are, are significant um, in, the, in the story of the bands. You know, a lot of bands have released EPs and are not like that big a deal. Like maybe they throw a song on, they put a couple demos or a live track. And it's not that big a deal, but there are bands that have released EPs that have actually are important parts of their catalog as, as opposed to just an extended single. So let's go around and maybe like mention a couple of those that um, we're thinking of. Ian, I know you're chomping at the bit. Oh yeah. Well, I've got, I've got two. So obviously the first one is is Nine Chanel's Broken. Yes. So, I mean, after Pretty Hate Machine, Huge tension between him and uh, TVT Records. Him and Flood record this out, this EP in various studios under various pseudonyms because they didn't want any label interference or claiming the, those songs. And then um, with, with this EP, um, he uh, TVT and Aeroscope with uh, with uh, Jimmy Oving uh, come to agreement. Trent was traded and got his, his nothing records imprint and, and that, but, uh, and obviously, I mean, th- this was a, a big album. I mean, like, like, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, you mentioned ugly kid Joe by imagine in terms of sales, this is probably one that sh- follows in terms of, uh, overall sales, <laughs> given how important this is. And obviously it's, it's further, uh, enhanced, uh, with the, um, broken movie and that's uh infamy around it um but then the the second uh ep that i have and surprisingly this is an ep is uh marilyn manson uh smells like children uh, i mean it's surprising that it's an ep because it's 15 tracks and 53 minutes but i mean it was probably slapped at that title just for um uh a sell point reason <laughs> hmm. Uh, that may be something we can touch on, on on later, but I mean, originally it was supposed to be a remix single for Dopat, but then, um, and but the I mean, this EP has various remixes on it from uh, Portrait of an American Family. Uh, it's got the cover versions, and that'll be the Eurythmics. Uh, uh, Sweet Dreams are, are made of this, but uh, and um, and uh, some other uh, original songs. But I, I mean, obviously. I'm, but this is one we can probably come back later on EPs that kind of blur the line. But, right. Uh, yeah. The other note for, for this EP is also the first uh, appearance uh, studio wise with, uh, with uh, Twiggy Ramirez, who would then have a huge influence on shaping the musical uh, output of the band. <laughs> right. So the, the broken EP, just to go back for a second, that sold over a million copies in the U S 
It made it to, I think, number five in the U.S. on the Billboard. Oh, sorry, number seven on the U.S. Billboard 200. Um, made to number 18 in the U.K., number 49 in New Zealand, and it sold 100,000, which is platinum in Canada. Yeah. So again, this is very close to, you know, reaching the top 100 or the or the number one spot, I should say, on the on the Billboard 200 um, before Alice in Chains. So there there were a, more than one, more than one EP. There was more than one EP that got real close to being a number one before Alice in Chains, which I did not, not know mention, that. Not to mention Trent Reznor also got the Grammy with Wish on this EP as well for best metal performance. And then, that's right. And then the other track. Uh, uh, from it, Happiness and Slavery, the live version from the Woodstock compilation, also won uh, for best alternative performance as well in '96. So I mean, there, there's uh, two things to hang around this album's neck, right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Rich, EPs that are you think are significant from the '90s that you think are worth mentioning? I was just going to say about Ian because, like the other day when I put it up on um, Patreon. He was like, why didn't you um, put um, Broken on there? You, you, you broke my heart, man. You broke my heart. <laughs> I thought it was too obvious. That's why I didn't put um, Jar of Flies either. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, thought, I thought you did list that one. That, that one was totally on my fault. That was totally my fault. I, I missed that you put Sap instead of Jar of Flies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, COVID brain, I blame it on that. But, you um, know what, though? I think the Sap EP is just as good as the Jar. I mean... You put those two together, that's a great album. Yeah. yeah. I bought it twice because eventually they released them both together. Because um, I bought the, the... Didn't they release it both together? Or am I getting that wrong? Not, I, not in the US that I'm aware of. No, not North America. Yeah, they did. I, I bought. Um, I think I bought it in 99 when I was in university. Uh, and there was like a two-disc thing. Huh. So that must have been uh, later on. Might have to double-check that. A lot of alcohol was taken in university, so my my mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the other, I've got like, um, well, one of my favorite bands, Shiner. Obviously, everyone on Discord knows that. Um, the Making Love EP. Yes. With their excellent cover of Bad Company. Yeah. Bay.
like that. Is, I love that so much. And um, the other one is a band no one really seems to know about is Sprinkler, the Peerless EP. No. Um, it's one of the like 100 million bands I've put up on Discord, um, Sprinkler. So they were from like early 90s, so you have to check them out. But yeah, the EP, and then they released like a, a full-length de- uh, debut after that. And that was amazing too. Between like 90 to 94. Um, I've also got the Tea Party Alhambra, which is like acoustic, kind of, um, it reminds me of um, Page and Plant Unleaded, but like the Tea Party. That, that, that's an excellent one. And I, I enjoy the Reese Fulber remix he did of Sister Awake as well on that EP. Yeah, like Tea Party, that's like ideal for them, that kind of acoustic sort of rock, like Zeppelin kind of folk kind of um, edge. And then the controversial one is the Chris Cornell Poncier. How is that controversial? <laughs> well, <'cause>, Chris Cornell. <laughs> basically, it was like it was never released as an official release, was it? Because Jeff and Men helped with the songs or had the, the names for the songs. And then Chris Cornell wrote the songs for singles off his ideas, but it was never released as an actual fully realized ep it was put on the single soundtrack and then released like three years ago as um on record store day that's right yeah so i didn't know i did put it up on there but i thought well that was like what 2018 so that doesn't count but the songs are from 91 so what do you think I did a quick check there in UK and Australia because it charted Jar and Fly was, and uh, Sap were uh, released as a as a two disc set. There you go. Right, so interesting. One, one, one of those bargain things you see every once in a while for artists, where it's like, here are two albums for the price of one. Like, here's, yeah, I got two seventy. I got that in a record sh- record store near London, like half an hour from London, when I was in university in '99. When did you say it was released? It says here '94, so yeah, oh, okay. it was. It had some uh, legs under it by then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are some uh, some of mine, anyway. Yeah, the, the I would double down a little bit on Allison Change just to say, like, when you look at their catalog and just consider if they only released the three albums with Lane, that band doesn't quite make sense as like a big band, like the third album is very heavy, not accessible, like commercially. Like I know fans love it, but like not a bunch of radio songs on that album. The first album is a little weird. Like obviously it had a, um, a big hit on it, but, and then the, you know, dirt is where all the hits are, but all the other hits are on EPs, which end up making up a lot of the unplugged as well. Right. It's like you can't really yeah. tell the story of Allison Chains without those two EPs. I know. It's just so important to wh- wh- how people identify. But all that stuff's so dark. Like, but mm. it was really popular. Like, a lot of people were buying it, obviously. Yeah. But like, those acoustic jams were like really accessible. Yeah. But they're like really dark. The 90s were weird, though, weren't they? So, obviously, we know that. That's why we're here. So, yeah, like a song like "No Excuses," which was big. You know, it's it's dark, but it's got enough. You know, it's bright enough that you know can kind of pull radio listeners in. Also, like it's cool. Like Sap, I think shows a good 
it's a good document in terms of how integral they were to Seattle's with Ann Wilson singing on it and Chris Cornell singing on it and yeah. Mark Arm singing on it. And like, it just gives you a good, in their catalog, a good sense of, you know, how involved they were in that scene and how important those bands were to them. And it's got some of their best songs. It's also like great showcase for Jerry Cantrell at that point too, to, have him sing quite a bit of leads and hear yeah. some, you know, of his acoustic guitar playing. And so I was really, I haven't listened to him in a while when I went back and visited him, I was really kind of taken and how good they are and just how important they were to their oh, yeah. catalog. Well, like, um, um, obviously the, well, personally, I think it's a case of those two guys needing each other. Mm. Cause even though I've loved the latest stuff, it just hasn't got that kind of magic. Has yeah. it? But that also could be like from when I was growing up and it like hit me at a certain time. But in general, I do believe it has a certain magic to it. Jar of Flies. Yep. Yeah. When they harmonize on that record with the quieter songs, it's unlike anything. It elevates it. Yeah. Yeah. Another one I was thinking of in the same vein was at the drive-ins via, which Mm -hmm. again is it captures this important part in their evolution right before relationship command, when they get a lot more polished. Um, and after casino and out, which they, they start to bring in, I think a little bit more of the kind of Latin feel and layers percussion. There's a little bit of electric piano on there. It's more melodic, but it still has that casino in and out like production. It feels yeah. a little raw and, not as slick as a relationship of command. It has some of my favorite songs of theirs on it as well. Great album but, cover too. Yeah. With the boom box. Super symbolic. Yep. Yeah. Easily recognizable. Like I think they even use that a lot for t-shirts and stuff after yeah. the fact. So that's another one where that band is different. Their catalog is different if that EP is not, not in there. Yeah. What'd you have, Tim? Well, there were a couple bands in the 90s that I think we're used EPs really well in terms of here's where we can experiment a little bit. Here's where we can maybe try some ideas that don't work on the records. Um, one of those is Radiohead. Radiohead had a number of great EPs in the nineties. I, I think you could probably compile a cats and dog, like cats and dogs style compilation album in the way that Catherine Wheel did, which is just as strong as any of their records. And you could do that with Radiohead because Radiohead, you know, they got the first EP that came out, Drill, in 92. That's got four really good songs on it. The My Iron Lung EP is great. Again, you have a whole bunch of non-album tracks. And then you've got the Airbag How Am I Driving EP that comes out um, after the release of OK Computer. And that to me is like a completely like fully realized idea. There's weird stuff happening on there, but it carries the idea of what a okay computer was and it like expands upon it and gets a little weirder. Um, and I, I realize that it's just a, you know, it's compiling singles essentially or B sides of singles from, you know, other releases like the no surprises single and, and whatnot, but the way it's arranged. And I think also the packaging for that was really interesting. You know, um, I don't know how many people actually bought it as opposed to just downloading it when in the 2000s. But like, there's a lot of really interesting artwork in that 
EP. There's like short stories that the the guy who created the artwork worked into the um, album artwork. So it was a, it was really interesting from an overall creative standpoint that they could take OK Computer and then expand upon it with this little EP that has some really cool songs like Palo Alto. Um, there's just there's a lot of a lot of stuff from Radiohead in the '90s that's not on albums. That's really excellent. Some of my favorite Radiohead songs from that era are, are not um, on albums. Yeah. Uh, another band that uh, had an awesome run of of uh, of EPs. Well, not awesome run, but they had they had you know it's a band that I I like. Uh, but they had a number of cool EPs was the Afghan wigs starting with Uptown Avondale, which is the five soul covers that came out between. Um, is it between congregation and gentlemen? Is that when that came out? Yeah. And really like tuned you into, okay, this is a band that's taking songs from 30 years ago and reinterpreting them in a way that I think like congregation sort of touched on with regards to the Jesus Christ superstar cover, but really solidified. And I, you know, they had done covers on singles and stuff like that, but this was really like a coordinated, um, thought out effort. And you would see that there's a going to town EP that would come out with black love. There's an EP that would come out for, um, uh, the 1965 era that includes like covers of Hole and um, the Miss World cover, which is a really interesting take on that song. Um, but I like that that band always use used their EPs to reinterpret other people's material um, along with, you know, because there's not a lot of extra material from the Wigs. They're famously like if they didn't really finish the song, they didn't record it. So you don't have a lot of like bonus songs that didn't get on the albums. They just didn't record the songs. That's just Dooley's thing. So they have all these cool covers on their um, EPs is, I think, what's fun about that band. Um, I, I would just to add on to that, I, I think if you're a person who doesn't quite get the Afghan wigs, it's worth listening to that EP. Um, because... Like you were saying, Tim, it just clues you into what the concept of the band is, what they're trying to achieve, like the, what the sound is going. And yep. then when you listen into something like anything from Gentleman Forward, you start to hear things you probably wouldn't have heard before. Right. <laughs> so if nothing else, even if you don't love the covers, you know, I, I think some of the slower stuff is not great on there. But I think um, Come See About Me and um, Band of Gold are, in particular, oh, yeah. are really good.
but if no other reason if you're you know have heard the band interest in them but it hasn't quite connected you might want to listen to that ep it might help all the other pieces of the puzzle come into place yeah i've never really gone sorry to marissa by the way because she's going to be offended but (laughs) uh, i've never really quite got into the the wigs i've tried so i'll um i'll give that one a go definitely when was it released uh, I want to say 91 or 92, somewhere okay, in there. Quite early, yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll give it a go. I yeah. got uh, I got a uh, mention from, from Willie. He wants to shout out Yellow Number 5 EP by Heat Miser. I'm not familiar with that. I mean, we've, we've done Heat Miser, but I right. don't know that EP. Well, that's the thing is, like, there are a lot of bands, when I was researching this, like, stereo lab put out eps yeah i i've i love stereo lab i have a lot of the albums both on cd and vinyl but i know that they've compiled a lot of those into compilations so i haven't necessarily gone out and sought out individual eps um same with like smashing pumpkins like the lull ep is fantastic um but i think a lot i think some of those songs were included on the pisces iscariot uh compilation right um so that's and and honestly, Pisces Iscariot is like <laughs> a great B sides collection. Some yeah. of this, like Hello Kitty Cat and Starla, and all uh, these things are just great songs. And you're like, and these are B sides for this. That's band. my favorite Pumpkins album. It's so time. good. Yeah. Um. Yeah. For a long time, I liked Pisces Iscariot as like my number two, um, Smashing Pumpkins record. Yeah. Um. It's probably two or three. Um, I I want to get to the some of the list. Like Mike Bond gave us a list with some of which we've mentioned, but the ones that he didn't I think are important because it's a lot of UK stuff. So you got like My Bloody Valentine's Tremolo EP, Lush's Desire Lines Hypocrite EP, Slow Dives Outside Your Room EP, Rides Vapor Trail, um, Jesus and Mary Chain's Roller Coaster EP, The Manic Street Preachers New Art Riot EP which is an important one, I think, for all Manix fans. Um, you know, the very raw early years of the Manix when they're sounding like kids playing Clash songs, essentially. Um, totally. But uh, they also mentioned the, the Breeders Safari EP, which is very good. Um, Tanya Donnelly's Sliding and Diving. And then one I haven't, I'm not familiar with is Uberman. And the Shirley Wall EP. Does anybody know Uberman? No. No. Okay. Well, Mike, <laughs> you'll have to explain that one in the in the Discord because we're not familiar with that. Um. And then, um, you there were a couple that you didn't mention, uh, Richard, that were on your list, yeah. but I think are are we should bring up because I think these are you know, a lot of times. People let these people don't know about these things. Like I didn't know that there was a silver chair EP for tomorrow. I just yeah. thought there was an album, but I'm guessing that that was a pre-release before the record. Yeah, and you can definitely tell the difference between that and Frog Stump. I mean, Silver Chair aren't one of my favorite bands by no means, but I'm like, I love all this stuff. So it just goes into the pop. Yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah, you can like just tell like the difference in in his voice and in the production because. Kevin Shirley came on board, didn't he, for Frog Stump? Yeah. So um, there's a big difference there. Um, the lyrics as well, because like he was must have been like 16, yeah, or 15 at the time of that EP. So, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. What what other ones did you pick out? 
Um, the Tool Opiate, which I was on board with Tool from that EP. I remember when that came out. Mm. And um, I don't know. I, Jay, did you get into the Tool with Undertow or did you get the Opiate? Undertow. Okay. Undertow. So, um, I just remember like it just not sounding like anything. Like or anything I'd ever heard. Not like anything, but it was like yeah. it was such a weird combination of like it rocked, but it was very small sounding in some ways because it was a, you know, it was a musical four piece, but the lead singer doesn't play guitar. So you have like the one guitar, the bass wasn't really heavy, but it was doing interesting things. And you had this very percussive drummer and it's just it's always it's been a, like Eastern tinged. Eastern yes. Like, yeah. And um, they, they recently did a re-release of the opiate single, the song um, I checked out on YouTube a few weeks ago. They've done an um, anniversary edition of that. So I don't know if you want to check that out. Is it like a re-recording of it or the original? Yeah. No, it's okay. a re-recording. Nice. Sounds amazing. I'm sure that they have over time evolved that song. Like, you know, artists when they're 20 years into their career can go back to an older yeah. song and be like, oh, well, now that we could mess around with this and maybe do it a little bit differently, or at least... Yeah increase the fidelity of the recording yeah i love um, the idea of that for some bands that put out good material that was poorly recorded uh, yeah. especially in those like um the 19 1990 to 92 time yeah. period right mm -hmm. where it was just coming out like you jay you've mentioned it a few times yeah. coming off the back end of the 80s into the early 90s and you've still got that certain sound yeah, 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 I would say most of the records that came out during that time could we could just go ahead and redo all those. Yeah, definitely. I, one of the other EPs I wanted to mention is um, Beaster, which is a 1993 EP by uh, Sugar, the Bob yeah, Mold yeah. band after Huskudu broke up. And while he was, uh, while he was um, in between you know, solo records. And then also Copper Blue had just come out and it's a heavy record. It has like the noise of Husker Du, but you still get Bob's vocal. JC Auto and I thought was, that was an album. Well, it was released. Um, no, it, it was a. I guess it was always a one disc, six song release. But yeah, yeah it's called. It's called an EP. Excuse me. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the term EP is loose in the DMO world because you guys sure these with like eight songs yeah. on them. So. <laughs> well, this one's it's only thirty minutes, so yeah, it I think it qualifies still uh 
but that's one I've always liked. And I think that that, I, I believe that that got compiled into a, a whole B-Sides album called B-Sides, but B-E-Sides, uh, yeah. that came out a couple years later. Because uh, there were a lot of B-Sides for that band. They only put out two records. It was in between Copper Blue and File Andre's Listening, wasn't it? Right. And those two were like a lot more poppy, even though they were like still had the Bob Mold sound. That one that you meant, yeah, that one sounded definitely darker, I think. Or harsher. Yep. yep. Wasn't as poppy. Um, speaking of re-recording, uh, a band out of Dayton, Ohio, put out a lot of EPs in the 90s, and that's Guided by Voices. Uh, basically, <laughs> if they put out an album, there was probably two EPs uh, <laughs> released somewhere after. Uh, and a lot of those, I've I've tried to pick some of those up because I am a, a Guided by Voices fan, you know, starting with like Alien Lane's B-1000, that era. And then, but man, some of those low fidelity recordings are just so hard to get through. Yeah. Um, like on, what's the one? It's like, trombone fish breakfast or something like that i can't remember what the name of the ep is that sounds, sounds like, like the captain beef it sounds like the captain beef <laughs> album <laughs> trombone fish breakfast <laughs> i think that is an actual captain beef something like that um so guided by voices there was a big chat on the discord about them right ago. i've never got into them but are they such a big thing for you guys because you grew up in ohio or local band thing or well, i don't know if you did grow uh, up i know no you no i mean they are just like uh maybe in the u.s how would you describe them they're like the quintessential indie rock band like yeah. they are they're big enough fun. that everybody knows who they are but they're not so big that you know they've ever crossed the line where like they've yeah, alienated so people, people still like them <laughs> yeah right. so they, instead they, of hating they, them when they get too popular right they have never gotten popular like, even when Bob Mould sat down with Rico Kasich and was like, we're going to make a pop record, it didn't break through. Like, it made no dent. It made no difference in terms of their popularity. So he basically just does exactly what he wants. And people either love it or don't bother with it. But there's, there's never been a moment where, where Guided by Voices was like, had that moment where they broke through. Yeah, it's Which is odd like because he's such a good songwriter, but. All their stuff, earlier stuff, is like lo-fi, is it? Oh, yeah. The, the late 80s and into the mid-90s, it's so lo-fi. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't really charming, enjoy that. Can't it? I, I, like, I find it charming and like it's good every now and then, but I just can't, I can't have it all the time, the lo-fi stuff. Like I need something with a bit of meat on the bones, you know, after a while. And they are a constant touring band right tim i mean they've he's they've always been playing clubs and just out there and available so i think there's a live component too that and some of their live shows are notorious for being kind of just totally off the cuff and you know they play like way too many songs and sometimes i i think band members don't even know what the set list is going to be like bob just like makes it up the night before so Sounds like the Grateful Dead or something. I think it has a not that they're jammy, but it has that like live, you know, event yeah. kind of energy to it. 
it's a it's a hang and a good time for people. So. Yeah. So when you follow a band like that, they're like the most important thing in the world, and but only a certain few yeah. people get it, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on our YouTube live chat, first time I've ever said that aloud. Uh, <laughs> Willie Dillon says the Archers of Loaf verse the greatest of all time EP that came out in 1994. It's a five song EP. That was released after their debut, Icky Metal, which we reviewed, yep. and before VV, which came out uh, in 95. Um, I am not familiar with that EP. I haven't listened to it. But uh, Robert Christo, the Dean of Rock Journalists, gave it an A-. Uh, so it must be Ooh. good. It's I, don't think, I don't think music should be rated with a, with a grade, should it? Like a a b c d don't they do that on pitchfork though no, they, they do one to one to ten. Oh, do they who does just, a who does letters i know one of them does letters don't they uh, all music could be no all oh, music Steve, does a star Steve, rating art all music star Good this old makes Steven. me think of school which is not what rock and roll is about exactly <laughs> thank you except the school of rock <laughs> here, here, here's an EP that um, when I was revisiting sort of my catalog here that uh, I and, and now in hindsight seemed a bit odd for the time that made some waves was uh, Danzig Thrall Demon Sweat Live, which <laughs> at least in the States had his biggest uh, radio song. Mother! The live version of Mother. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, my impression of listening to that now was how in the world was this on the radio? <laughs> like... <laughs> It is not a great live performance. It feels like, oh, fans of Danzig would probably dig this, but like, this is the song that was played on the radio most by that band, and it is not a great vocal performance. <laughs> the background <laughs> sing- singer sounds like a guy in the front row who's yelling along. Um, do you guys remember that? And like, oh yeah, thoughts on it. <laughs> it was confounding. Um, yeah. There, I think there was something about former post-hardcore dudes who could shout one word, like liar yeah. or or mother, yeah. uh, and turn them into anthems in the early 90s because alternative rock was uh, pretty much anybody who could uh, sing was getting a deal. Yeah. But in or, a way, or, you, like, you can't be surprised, though, can you? Because it was the 90s. Like, obviously, right. that wouldn't happen now, would it? But, like, we're no. looking back on it. You're thinking, well, how did that happen? But... Yeah, Yeah, it would be a Bandcamp EP and people wouldn't know about it. Yeah. And and it's one of those weird EPs where it feels like a bunch of stuff thrown together. There's like three studio tracks that are not remarkable. And then four live songs. Why four? Why put those together? Like it doesn't (laughs) seem to make any sense. It was like a grab bag of stuff to sell. Mm-hmm. Glenn, Dan- Glenn Danzig was a name, wasn't he? Though, so they would have been. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll put it out. Yeah, yeah. But like that's that's what happened. So, it's just <laughs> and, it's and the live world. tracks aren't even like the the singles from the previous albums, which you know at least on like Headbangers Ball and you know they had some MTV play and they were known. It's not even any of those songs. It's a bunch of other songs. With a guy very odd. <laughs> And had that been released and not made any waves, I'd be like, okay, yeah, this is a weird thing to do and nobody cared. But like, I, I don't, I'm guessing this is his best selling album. Not only <laughs> is it like best selling, but like 
people who don't know anything about the Misfits or Glenn Danzig yeah. know that song. Yeah. Because that mother is so iconic. Yeah. It's like, woohoo. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They could play I, it at um at stadiums. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do have a couple other EPs to, yes. to mention. Um Although the, the, these aren't ones that are, are going to be well-known, but definitely shaped the band. But um, the Chemical Brothers, uh, before their first album, released a couple of EPs under the, the uh, Dust Butt Brothers uh, pseudonym. And, of course, then they came over here. The production team took them to objection. Of course, their first album was Exit from Planet Dust. Right. But, uh, I, I mean, and, and I mean, the... The DEPs, I mean, it's not going to match that album or um, uh, Dig Your Own Hole, but uh, I mean, it definitely uh, influenced the band because uh, it, it was part of their rise and, uh, uh, of course, then shaped what followed. And, and uh, I mean, but of course, I mean, it was part of that culture. I mean, there's a lot of electronic and underground music that EP yeah. floating around and, and um, weren't necessarily big, but like it was a sign of uh, bigger things to come. <laughs> few years that scene was massive here i can't believe that was 1997 like that's one of those albums i think it, 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 it was 96 yeah it, was, it feels like it was later though it's just one of those albums you think that that didn't come out then but it did yeah. cool. I, I think probably because it really got its legs in 97 when you had other like other stuff kept coming coming out at that time as well like daft punk uh, yeah but that's underworld is keeps going up and i mean like it all comes to a head in 97 but some stuff was released in 96 did um did air have some eps around that time too i'm trying i'm not familiar with air i do know and maybe this is under your uh or on your list ian is aphex twin come to daddy wasn't that an ep i'd have to check i don't have that release so I feel like that was the um, I need to check that because yeah, I'll check right they now. were one of those bands and they still are that just you never know what's coming <laughs> in terms of is it going to be an album? Is it going to be an EP that each song is 10 minutes or, or is it going to be a double album and there's going to be no song titles or you know what I mean? Like there's always some like wacky, not wacky, but th- you just don't know what's going to happen with regards to. Um, yeah, what's released. So, let's see. Yeah, he's got, like, he's got he's a shitload of... Um, yeah, it's like 10 EPs. But, but, but uh, 
um, I mean, I can't think. What was the one that you mentioned? So oh, yes. come to come to come daddy to came out in ninety yes. seven, and yeah. that had this. That was the single that like because of of electronica it kind of snuck in with that electronica crowd even though he's totally not in that same ballpark um and but i just remember being totally like what the hell am i listening to was same thing when i heard like like from there you go down this rabbit hole of like oh i'm gonna check out i'm gonna slaughter this name but autecker is that how you say the name autecker right so somebody's like, well, if you like Apex Swing, you should talk out off Tecker. And I was like, okay. And then I'm like, what? <laughs> this is, I don't understand what's happening at all. This does not sound like it's from the same planet that I'm from. The artwork as well is really creepy with his face. Oh, yeah. That was how the <laughs> video was. It was his face on like women in bikinis. All his and, face. Like, yes. It's like a bad nightmare, isn't it? It's like everyone's, you turn around and everyone's got the same face. <laughs> yeah he knew how to um visuals is good visuals yeah the in the same way that trent Reznor is so good at the visual aspect yeah richard d james definitely does but then like so you look through their the release titles like donkey rhubarb like what <laughs> just pick two names out of the two words out of the dictionary <laughs> just like yeah just put his finger on the book and just pick the number analog bubble bath yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I, yeah, it's I not an EP, but the ambient record from 92 he did was like one of the best ambient records. Yeah. That, those, oh, those yeah. I have the selected ambient works 85 to 92 yeah. and the, the follow up one as well. Those are like classic, yeah, uh, yeah. records yeah. that, that I end up on like lists, you know, of the top 500 albums of all time and that kind of stuff on Rolling Stone. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just interesting that that EP produced, uh, <laughs> you know, that went to number 36 in the UK, 37 in the US, 10 in Denmark. Um, that's the only, that's, well, that single is the only single that's charted in the US for Aphex Twin. I got a, um, I've got a couple here, like the um, hark back to previous episodes. So I've got Plexi. The Plexi EP, yeah, because that that oh, first yeah. Plexi album I discovered through the podcast, yep, and listening to those interviews all those years back, our very long and rambling mm-hmm. interview with the guys from uh, Plexi, like, no, in which one of them actually, checks out during the middle of the interview, <laughs> like I gotta like, go, guys. That was like Nixon Frost. That was, that was <laughs> one, one of them. That was amazing. I loved that, but that was like one near like to the time I discovered the podcast, and then it was like this album I'd never heard of. And then I absolutely love it. And I got to listen to an interview with these people I didn't even know either that were involved in the album. That's so that's cool. what it's all about, isn't it? That's the whole thing. It is, absolutely. And then um, there was um, Creepy EP, Into Another. You've had Into Another on. Yep. yep. And then like a name that I thought was made up, Smack Melon. <laughs> remember when someone like put that up on Discord? Yep. And I think you, Jay, you were like, that's a made-up name. Right, right. Like, that can't be real. <laughs> but it was. And yeah, the EP and the, and the album are both amazing too. So excellent. Yeah. Well, let's go. We've covered a lot of EPs in here. Um let's talk about 
let's maybe wrap up since we're hitting the hour mark. Uh, our favorite EPs of the uh, of the uh, '90s. If you want to uh, pick one you've already mentioned, that's fine. If you want to pick something new or unexpected, go ahead. I have, I have one that I have not mentioned that I I waited for this moment. Well, don't make us wait any longer, for God's sake. Yeah, go ahead. Drum what roll. is it? All right. My favorite EP of the 90s is Golden Smogs on Golden Smog. Oh. This was the, um, the first release from the Minneapolis Supergroup, which at the time consisted of Dave Perner of Soul Asylum, um, Jim Boquist, who played in Sunvolt, Martin Zillar of a band called the Gear Daddies. And then they added Chris Mars, who played in The Replacements. Gary Loris um, of the Jayhawks. And a guy named Craig Johnson uh, from Run West You Run. Now, other people would come and play on the records, but they wouldn't necessarily be in the, like, the whole band. Jody Stevens of Big Star was played with the band for a while. Jeff Tweedy of a band called Wilco, which you may be familiar with. He played with the band for a couple records. Um, and had they actually have gotten together and done reunion shows recently. And it's basically just a cover band of a bunch of famous musicians from Minneapolis, Chicago, that kind of like Midwestern area that would get together in a bar and just play fun covers together yeah. away from their main bands. So the first EP that came out, which was in 1992, it covers um easy to be hard which is from <laughs> the musical hair shooting star by bad company which is sung by dave perner mm-hmm. backstreet girl by the rolling stones um a song called sun we've just kept the room we've kept the room just the way you like it by a artist called michelangelo and then it closes with a cover of the song cowboy song by thin lizzy but it's sung by their roadie, Bill Sullivan. <laughs> that's who should sing it for sure. Um, that's a roadie song if I've ever heard. I of. mean, it's perfect because it's like a yeah. little. The whole the whole EP is like a little sloppy, like like a bar band. Yeah. But you've got all these great players who can pull off all the parts exactly the way they're supposed to be played, mm-hmm. and it just sounds fun. And I got to see them when they toured their first record, and it was. I mean, it was like seeing the best cover band who were all drinking Rolling Rocks, you know, pounding Rolling Rocks the whole time, getting drunker and drunker throughout the set, doing f- more and more fun covers. So was it rocking? Like, uh, was it like old country fight? Or, it's um, it's was- got a little Americana country, but it's also like bad company. So it's got that like right. rock edge. That's good. Yeah. Um, And they would go on to make full length albums that were original. Um mostly original songs they did cover a, a few songs um like on on the first album they cover a ronnie lane song called glad and sorry and then they covered um i think it's an old country song called she don't have to see you but for the most part it's it's originals um yeah, this album weird tales is really highly rated yeah i like i like the first record a little bit more than weird tales but the production on weird tales is a little bit better because you could right. tell like oh shit wilco kind of blew up was starting to blow up yeah. um the jayhawks sort of had a built-in audience 
Soul Asylum had not blown up when the on e, when the on Golden Pond EP release was released. It was just after that the Grave Dancers Union blew up. Yeah. So like then people started paying attention to them. Yeah. Um. So, and then they after Down by the Old Mainstream in '95 and then Weird Tales Weird Tales in '98 they they stopped playing for almost ten years. Um. But it was just a lot of fun, and I just love that EP. It's just it captures a very specific like moment and sound, and it's relaxed but fun. And I don't know. So that's my favorite EP of the '90s. Ian, what's one that you got that that okay. you really enjoy? Well, I, I mean, obviously, I mean, I've mentioned the Nails one already. Right. I've mentioned on the Discord and before that that's my favorite Nails release. So um, the other. EP that I can think of is um, unfortunately it was never released. Is the uh, but there are test pressings. Is uh, Frontline Assembly the Toxic EP, which comes between uh, 1990s Caustic Grip and 92's Tactical Neural Implant uh, album. So a lot of the tracks have been released as as B sides for Tactical Neural Implant singles and other uh, compilations that would follow. So that. But that is definitely one that's on my wish list, but I don't feel like spending $400 US on it. <laughs> <laughs> Since all the tracks are available, um, other uh, wish list uh, EPs is uh, Coil in 98. They mm. did four EPs for the Equinox and Solstice. And it was later uh, compiled on, on um, uh, Moon's Milk and that, but uh, those EPs. But Coil releases on. I'll apply my previous comment about four hundred dollars US, <laughs> and that mm. the original coil pressings are very uh, pricey and, and rare to find, <laughs> and questionable uh, reissues afterwards for that band too. <laughs> Frontline Assembly, I've given a chance because you like recommended them like why ages ago. Yeah, so well, they're, they're my favorite industrial groups. So <laughs> that's are they? Yeah. So, but like, I thought I thought Nine Inch Nails were your favorite, or do you not count them as industrial? Uh, even if I did, uh, they're just slightly below. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So yeah. yeah, Frontline Assembly. I caught some of their live stuff on YouTube, and the the guy is like a really good showman. They're like, oh yeah, really yeah. good. So thanks for that, because I didn't know anything about them. Yeah, no problem. Rich, what's an EP that you would uh, count among your favorites? <sighs> ah, like uh, apart from the ones I've mentioned, maybe. Um, yeah, sure. Um, maybe summer camp tonight, or shades apart. Do danger. Nice. But, um, yeah, they're um, they're not for everyone. Let let's just say that. Yeah, I didn't. They're not like their most famous releases from those bands, obviously, because like summer camp had that one big album. You right. guys have done that yeah. before, anyway. Yeah. Um, is the EP before that or after it? Yeah, no, it's before that. Okay. Pretty sure, yeah. And then um, do Danger is like um, really, really early Shades Apart. Because um, obviously we you did the Eyewitness album. Mm-hmm. That is like light years away from that. Interesting. Do Danger isn't like lo-fi, but it's like punk rock, like low production style you know? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. I, I was really happy that you liked Eyewitness, Jay. <laughs> when, when I was listening to that episode, I was like, oh, man, I can't believe. I, I wasn't sure you'd like it. But, yeah, I was really happy about that. But, yeah, those two, definitely. And then that pretty much sums up my whole list. 
off Patreon. That covers your list. Yeah. Jay, any other EPs you want to mention? We covered uh, my four of my top five. The only one we didn't cover was uh, Spoon Soft Effects. And ah. just personally, like that era of the band, I just love so much. Um, and it's just more that material. So it's got that, you know, super reverbed out amp sound with the pan drums and like that weird production, <laughs> kind of lo-fi, almost like uh, dual mono production that they they had in that era. Um, it gives you a little glimpse of maybe where the band's going to go in a, in, in a short track called I Could See Dude, which is... A little bit mellower, more groove oriented, a little layered. Uh, so you can start to see like where this band can go. And- I could see your words hang in the air, but they did not spell out what I thought that I heard. I could see the dude in your next room by himself. It just fills out for me that an air of a band that like they'll never be able to recapture um, as they continue to progress to their career. They get more and more polished and, you know, the production values go up and there's only, you know, really two albums. And then this EP that just really sound this way. Um, so I, I like that EP quite a bit. The only one I had listed that um, was interesting to me was a uh, dream theater put out an EP or uh, in the in the 90s that had a 23 minute long song plus like four or five longs uh live songs but it ended up being 58 minutes <laughs> i'm like in what world is this an ep i don't understand well, um, maybe they could do that <laughs> right i think it was like they had they had this song that they had started years ago they recorded it and they're like well shit we can't put out a single like that doesn't make any sense in the 90s for a prog rock band to put out a single so Let's throw some live tracks on here, which the live tracks are all covers. So to hear musicians that are that good cover like Deep Purple, Perfect Strangers is they do a pretty, pretty awesome job of covering that song. So the, the covers are fine, are fun. And I think it's a, you know, classic sounding 23 minute long, you know, Dream Theater track. But it's also just, I think, a good example of what the hell is an EP in the 90s uh, coming in at 58 yeah. minutes. Right, what's exactly. The, what's, the, um, <laughs> what's the production like on that, though? Does it sound like really thin? No, it sounds good. Uh, the drum sound is a little different. Like, I think they're, uh, he's starting to hear like the new metal sounds and he's using like uh, that trash can snare. So, <laughs> like, the production's a little different than, than, than the other stuff they did in the 90s, but uh, Not dated, the live tracks sound great. Not dated? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I find a lot of this stuff sounds a bit dated now, the early 90s stuff. Mm, yeah, probably because um, the keyboards too. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Those keyboards. Yep. Always dating you. Yeah. All right. Well, gents, Rich, Ian, thank you so much for stopping by on this Saturday 
afternoon and and talking EPs. I don't know that we really settled anything about finding out what an EP actually is, because if anything, we've just left it more confused uh, than they were like a, an excuse to put out like leftover B sides. They were yeah. <laughs> excuse to release singles. They were sometimes like moments in time between records where artists were actually inspired. It's like you name it. There is, you know, it was just another way of music. If you really love a band or like some music, then you're just happy to get anything, though, aren't you? Right. So you know. Here's here's the important question: Did you prefer when you got your EP that it come in a full size CD case in the '90s, or did you like the little thin slip case? That they would release some EPs in. It depended when. Um, I like the slip. Hmm. I like the slip cases in in concept, but then when you go to put them in your organizer, they yeah. sometimes wouldn't work right. I didn't what like you mean? Yeah, it's got like the vitology effect, doesn't it? Where yeah. it doesn't fit in with <laughs> right. all the others. Yeah. <laughs> it's always like, sitting on the top by itself. Yeah, yeah. Whenever there's an oddly shaped. You're like, God damn it. Like, these things are all perfectly in line, and they're just one sticking up weird. There it is, Phytology every time, man. Oh, well, every time. Phytology <laughs> and Tools 10,000 Days. Those are the two for me. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, it's probably yeah. also worth noting, like, in the 90s, this would have been a business, business tactic, because if it's cataloged as an EP, I assume you're selling it for less. Yeah, mm. like, I said that with Manson, yeah. Smell Like Children. That was definitely the case with that one. <laughs> Yeah. So it kind of can get you to maybe an audience that's not going to spend, you know, 20 bucks, but will spend $8. Right. Maybe an, a, a way to get your music in their hands. Yeah, you know, the slip cases. You're talking about like the little plastic fold. Yeah, wallet. the real thin plastic ones. I mean, okay. then you had the digipacks, yeah, which were the cardboard, cardboard ones. Yeah. Uh, which that's, we could just do a whole show on 90s CD packaging, packaging differences. Yeah. At least you can recycle the cardboard ones, though, I guess, maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I've got a lot of the, the thin cases for singles. So I, I, I more identify the, uh, those thin cases with singles than uh, EPs. You just know that you know there's someone out there that collects all those little plastic things, don't you? Oh, yeah, in there the world, are. In the world, like, there's just, they've got, like, millions of these little plastic I assume that there's there. a guy out there that has an example of every possible CD case. Like, Ryko Disc had those colored discs that were like green and some of them had like little ridges along the edge that had like a little bit of 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 um texture and then, and some of them and then you get into like the double discs did they open like this or how did they fold open those yeah. always always the little plastic pieces that held the disc in place would yeah, always break break yeah. you thought we were nerds no those guys who do that are the nerds <laughs> exactly <laughs> Uh, speaking of nerds, if you'd like to join us at Patreon, you can do so by going to digmeoutunion.com or dmounion.com. That's where you join the union. You can vote. You can submit suggestions. You can uh, give us some lip. It's all right. That's all. That's all. It's all good at, at, at Patreon. It's also where you can read the box newsletter that's released every week, which you can sign up for at digmeoutpodcast.com. It's a newsletter of new releases from 80s and 90s relevant artists, music, books, movies, TV shows, whatever. We cover it every week, plus reviews, sometimes submitted by our patrons, such as Ian, who thankfully covers the electronic music that I don't know. 
I'm now on week four. If you include the one I submitted this week, yes, <laughs> I'll have soft sell for you next week. I already did soft sell. Oh, okay. It's coming out this week. However, <laughs> however, there was a release recently that I I was surprised that you need to check out Archive. Okay. That's what it was. I thought that would be in your wheelhouse. Okay. Check uh, out the band Archive, UK electronic band. Okay. Send me. Uh, I'll, I'll talk to you after. I'll get the. Okay. Uh, so, you know, Ian submits for music that he enjoys. Eric Peterson has suggested st- or su- submitted stuff like the helicopters recently. Um, Gavin okay. down in Australia has yeah. covered stuff. We've had people from all over. Kyle uh, covering some uh, some stuff for us. So I always like it when we get other uh, opinions and thoughts because I don't have an opinion or thought on everything, even though. The internet tells me I should have an opinion or thought on everything, and I must express it at all times. Well, Sometimes I'm I don't. Happy to defer my the opinion of DMO on industrial music to Ian. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, well, it's, it's you know what it's funny is that we've been doing this a long time. We've covered a lot of music. I still there are still so many holes, and when Ian can provide a review that has some sort of historical perspective on electron music that oh, i don't yeah. have yeah. it's such yeah. a much better review because i'm just like there's bleeps and bloops what else can i tell you yeah there's marginal value to that i don't know anything about this this is what i think which is right <laughs> not seriously deep sometimes um, yes exactly first here's some context we all yes. appreciate um all the stuff that ian sends over as well because sometimes like people don't respond but you're just constantly like putting stuff up on the industrial channel and i just wanted to like say we appreciate it yes I, I i found stuff on there so um keep it up man it's good work yeah, yeah. We're, we're work's been crazy the past month so i've been slacking a bit but uh now yeah, i didn't want to say that but. <laughs> <laughs> uh and he's talking about our discord which you get when you sign up for patreon you get a discord community that talks about music uh every day and uh always learning new stuff there from all the folks all around the world it's great and lastly uh well no not lastly sorry if you'd like to suggest an album for us to check out go to digmeoutpodcast.com and suggest an album at our suggest an album page and then lastly apple podcast is where you go to leave positive feedback for us for jay i'm tim we're out we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Don't.